0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep Food Radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate.
2: like the way you do Whoa, hey hey you're listening you to eat your words so and heritage slow. radio network i'm your host kathy erway and i'm recording again today from my closet um as we hunker down and stay home during this pandemic i'm hoping we can take mini getaways through cooking that's why um I have got so many cookbooks that I can't wait to share with you, and I'm just so delighted to cook out of. My guest today is the co author of several cookbooks. Um, she worked with chefs to write their story as the co author of books like Joe Beef, The Art of Living, uh, Kristen Kish Cooking, and Le Pigeon. But her recent book, Alpine Cooking, which came out last fall, is all by her. And it's a beautiful, lush tribute to the Alps. So, welcome to the show, Meredith Erickson. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to
3: uh, remotely be here.
2: <laughs> to remotely be here. And it's really, it's really <laughs> too bad because I remember we planned this so far in ahead. And I was like, oh, that's the one, maybe this one time you're going to be in uh, New York City, we can have you at our station in Brooklyn. We could have some pizza and it'll be awesome. But to
3: you know, no avail. We definitely couldn't have seen this coming.
2: No, we did not. No, we did not. But uh, so you are at home in Montreal right now. That that's, right?
3: that's right. Yes, I am.
2: And, uh, but you mentioned you split your time between Montreal and Milan.
3: Yes, um, I uh, I live um, six months in each city. This is a new, a new thing because mm-hmm. uh, Milano is a great headquarters to the Alps. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, two to four hours from everywhere you want to be in the mountains. And so when I was uh, working on alpine cooking over the six years, um, I spent a lot of time in Milan. And uh, I loved it so much, I decided to make it one of my my home bases.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, before we get into all that, what is it like right now, I guess, in your neck of the woods, in, in Montreal, in Canada? Um, how, how is this affecting your daily life or those around you, this yeah. pandemic?
3: Yeah, you know, um, thankfully, I'm safe and my family is safe. Uh, I, I find it you know i'm just thinking every day i feel very lucky to live in montreal to live in quebec Mm -hmm. um uh, you know, we have a a great government in place. Um, everyone is is quite healthy and safe. Uh, it's a weird moment. You know, I was supposed to stay in Milan a bit longer. I was really excited because, um, for Alpine cooking, I was going to do a mini American Alpine tour, which meant Aspen, uh, Mm -hmm. Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Alta, Utah, the Berkshires, and very quickly it became, um, obvious that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, we canceled that. Um, but yeah, um, everything I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Yeah.
2: Oh my goodness. I mean, I feel like we don't hear about this too much. Um, because I mean, there's so many industries that are just been, uh, hollowed out, you know, right now. Um, certainly the entire travel and tourism industry is affected, but you know, ski areas and ski tourism is actually how many rural economies, um, you know, stay alive and well.
3: So yeah, America
2: and elsewhere, right?
3: Yeah, and it's interesting because I was, it was, I was in the Dolomites uh, getting into a cable car the first time I heard about coronavirus because oh. they were making sure that it was only two people per cable car compared to six. And I was just like, what is this? Like, is this for real? You know, and then very quickly, you know, they started closing mountains one after the other. Um, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I, I hear that, you know, some ski resorts where people were going to around the world, like the really big ones, um, may have helped spread it around the world, which is like, oh my God, well, of course, you know, any large gathering would. But um, yeah, yeah, it came at a bad time for the industry. Now, do you think they'll recover? They'll, will they spring back? Or is this really um, mm. a, just a, a huge blow?
3: I think that people who people who love skiing are very devoted to skiing and they'll, I mean, this is what you see with the advent of, um, back skiing you know Mm. Uh, people will do whatever it takes even if it's risking their lives to ski (laughs) at any moment and so I'm not stressed about ski resorts um going back you know And I I think at least in Italy where I spend a lot of my time it's not the 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 resorts it's the summer locations that are are mostly being hit because ski season you know by the time things started closing up, early March, ski season was almost over. Right. But the summer season is going to be almost non-existent for a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I, know, I feel that, again, if people want to ski, they're always going to find a way. <laughs> well, I love how um,
2: it sounds like you went to, you at least got to do a couple events um, at a
3: ski resort or two for your books for Alpine Cooking. Yeah. Um, how did that go? Okay. So I just, you know, it's crazy looking back. Um, (laughs) I, I had the most awesome fall last year fall 2019 because uh you know working in this industry at joe beef and other Mm -hmm. restaurants um you know i have a a good kind of base foundation of people in the in the business and um with alpine cooking there were a lot of chef friends who were very excited and so i did this incredible tour um Mm -hmm. i did a alpine dinner at frenchette in new york i did an Mm -hmm. alpine event at Justa in los angeles um outside of portland oregon in sisters i did an Event in the Subtle Lodge, which was mm-hmm. super cool, in the Deschutes National Forest. Um, a couple events in Toronto, Montreal. It was, it was awesome. Um, and so the the tour I was going to do uh, in March that's postponed, and we're definitely doing a tour in December. Oh wow. Yeah, so it's still happening, just a bit later.
2: That's great, and it sounds like a lot of collaboration between uh, yourself and the restaurant. So that sounds like, yeah, it's fun. I, I hope, hope they. Love
3: it. Yeah, I, I I hope that we
2: you know, get to participate in all these fun things
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, sooner I, than later. <laughs> I actually wanna shout out because I, mm-hmm. um, one of my best events was at Frasca in Boulder, Colorado. With okay. Bobby. Yeah, and I have a book coming out with Bobby and yeah. Laughlin from Frasca all about Friuli. Um, in Italy. Uh, it was supposed to come out now this week, but it's now coming out in July. Oh, and okay. yeah, and I can't wait for you to see it. It's something I'm really, really proud of. And I think that Bobby and Lachlan have been tremendous leaders during all of this, during this wow. pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really want people to get out there and support support them at this time, as, as much as they've supported everyone else.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll definitely look out for that one coming out. Um, thanks for mentioning that. And it sounds like you've been very busy, Meredith. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that you've been working on Alpine cooking for six years, and you must have been working on a bunch of other projects and books in the meantime.
3: Yeah. But, uh, yeah. When I was when I was working on Alpine, I. Um... Uh, would be there in the winters and the summers, and then the fall and spring. I was finishing Claridge's, which is a book I'm very proud of, uh, but the mm-hmm. London Hotel, Joe Beef Two: Surviving the Apocalypse, which has is way too preminiscent Oh, of what, yeah, yeah. feeling right now. Um, Crazy, yeah. Uh, Kristen Kish, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. Cool, so. but you, I love that you say that um, you write
2: in the introduction that you wanted to write the book that you wanted to buy. But it didn't exist yet. Um, what made you so convinced that this topic, this alpine cookbook, needed to exist?
3: Uh, because of the the characters and the quality of the food and the vistas that were in front of me every time I was in, you know, uh, Italy, Switzerland, mm-hmm. Austria, or France in the mountains. I I basically said, you know. The, this is some of the best eating I've ever had. And I've been really lucky in my life to to travel around and and eat so well. Um, And uh, when I would write back to friends, you know, whether it's Fred and Dave from Joe Beef or um, whomever in the industry, I would just send them pictures be like, you have to check this out. And everyone was like, whoa. And, you know, if that's coming from skeptics uh, as much as I am, you know, and and my friends, then um, I knew there was something here. And it was just something I'm so passionate about that I really wanted to share it with the world.
2: I'm so glad you did because I'm so I'm convinced as well. And, um, you know, this uh, is not just a a cookbook, but it's a beautiful illustrated, you know, like completely like photo rich uh, cookbook filled with history, lore, and of course, recipes. And it's the kind of like hearty. Uh, meaty food that you just want to tuck into by a fireplace after zipping down mountains and then having like the best sleep of your life. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) it's, I mean, to say it is looks just fabulous, but I'll admit this is actually a world that I know embarrassingly little about, um, as I don't really know how to ski. So it's quite exotic to me. Um, and, um, I love that Diana Henry, one of the, um, cookbook authors who wrote a little blurb here Um, she wrote this is big bold gloriously old-fashioned and the perfect title to snuggle up with to dream about the skiing holiday you can't afford (laughs) she wrote that yeah Um, so it's obviously like one of the most coveted sort of experiences in the world like the alps as a region but you also write that it's like not all about high-end glitz and glamour Um, what are some misconceptions that we have about this area?
3: I think that's the first, you know, and Mm -hmm. my, my overall, um, goal, if you will, of writing this book was to really lay out for people that the mountains are for everyone. Mountain Mm -hmm. food is extremely humble. These are people and communities that have lived at elevation and in isolation For thousands of years, Uh, there's a place in Friuli in the the Julian Alps called Saurus, the the town of Saurus, and they were so isolated they didn't know that the Second World War was going on around them. Um, Wow! Yeah, and uh, so I think that's the first. This is I think when we think in in North America when you think of Alpine. You think of also American mountains, which makes you think of Vail or Aspen, which are very expensive and inaccessible in a lot of ways um, mm-hmm. to the average person. But someone like you who doesn't ski, you know, I could come up with a, a route for you for one week on hiking that would completely knock your socks off, you know, mm-hmm. like you would have the most incredible time and it would be within a, a, a totally accessible budget and um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, another thing is it's not, it's not about fondue. That's, that's the other thing. I'd uh, be on uh, a, uh, <laughs> a plane, a plane and someone would always say Alpine, like you mean like fondue or raclette? Well, cheese. Yeah. Cheese, yeah. <laughs> Cheese is part of it, but it's definitely mm-hmm. not not the whole story, you know. I think um, in the summertime, uh, obviously, all the cattles go up to graze at pasture, at the mm-hmm. cheese cuts, cheese is made. In the wintertime, the cattles come down. So this is a, a product that we all know and love from the Alps, but um, there's just so much more going on.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Has it been, like, maybe overly, like, glamorized? I don't know, in movies or something like
3: that, you think? Just- Um, I think that, you know, you just want you when you go on holiday, you want to sit on in a mountain hut and you want to have, you know, the most uh, quintessential uh, meal from that area. It's kind of like when people come to Montreal and they think that like the the foie gras or the duck in a can at Pied de Cochon is like the only thing that's Montreal is. Uh, Well, that's that's one thing you can have. But um, if that's all you have, I think you're really missing out.
2: Absolutely. Um, So just to kind of like lay down the who, what, where, why, you um, organize this book in chapters. um, So it's for the countries that you're covering in the Alps. So there's Italy, France, Austria, and Switzerland. Um, I noticed that there's also, I looked on Wikipedia, there's also Germany and Slovenia that are sort of part of the Alps. Yeah, so...
3: Yeah, um I had to uh I had to set some boundaries uh in mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. And so I arbitrarily chose 1000 meters as primary mm-hmm. alpine. There's a lot of people that would back me up on that, but anything less mm-hmm. than 1000 meters, then we put that into the sub alpine category and sub alpine alps if you will. That's the Jura in France. That's mm-hmm. the German Alps, which is very small, my okay. minute part in Bavaria. Um, that's also part of the Slovenian Alps. Now, I think uh, the, I, I I hesitate to call them secondary Alps because it seems that they're second best when they're really not. But mm. for my fir- for my first book, I, originally I had three hundred pages and then I had three hundred sixty <laughs> pages because oh no- nothing was fitting. Um, And so I had to kind of stick to, this had to be your primer. I'm just bringing you into the Alps. This is what you need to know. And who knows, maybe in the future, uh, we'll go into some of those other rich Alpine areas. Got it. Well,
2: you bring, you mentioned you had like something like 175 recipes at first that you were just dying to write about, but you had to whittle it down. So um, uh, it definitely is a vast uh, sort of treasure trove of, uh, culture here and recipes of course um i want to talk a lot more about some of those recipes starting with some dumplings and also including fondue if you don't mind Um, but uh and we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back
1: The James Beard Foundation is a nonprofit with the mission to celebrate, nurture and honor chefs and other leaders, making America's food culture more delicious, diverse and sustainable for everyone. And right now, it's working to respond to the dire situation the food and beverage community is in due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Restaurants, bars and other independent food and beverage operations are often on the front lines of community revival. The majority of culinary community businesses have less than 500 employees. But collectively, this industry generates $1 trillion a year, 60% of which is pumped back into their local business communities. To help bring swift economic relief to these essential businesses, the James Beard Foundation launched a fund to provide microgrants to independent food and beverage businesses in need. You can donate at jamesbeard.org slash relief. Okay, we're back chatting more with Meredith Erickson, and she
2: is an author of several cookbooks, but her latest is called Alpine Cooking. And it is a big, beautiful tribute to a region in story, in photograph, in recipes. Um, And I mentioned uh, I have this little bit of a predilection towards dumplings. And I noticed that there's just so many that um, uh, in this book, there's like There's a from you know everything from Sophie's goulash with speck dumplings, radicchio dumplings, uh, spinach and cheese meteluna, huckleberry dumplings, apricot dumplings, and they're all very very different like looking shapes, types. Um, There's also a beet gnocchi, for instance. Um, And I wanted to ask you about one of them, which is the hangover Mm. soup with cheese dumplings. Yes. And I usually don't think of you know. Dumplings as breakfast, but tell me more about this whole hangover remedy.
3: Sure, so um, I was hungover a lot in the Alps. <laughs> uh, and when I was in Kitzbühel, which is in the Austrian uh, Alps, um, I it was a very, very bad weather. And so I had to sleep overnight at a great hut that I really encourage you to visit called Resterhoe. Okay. Okay. And Resterhoe is owned by this guy named Philip this great man the who, when he's not running this incredible hut, he's a steward on, um, Lufthansa flights. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, it was just funny. And he, um, he and his chef were incredible, and they uh, we had a lot of grappa the night before. And when we woke up in the morning, this the oven was on, the stove was on heating, the stube was was warm, heating up the space. It was a, still a blizzard outside, and he made this elixir with um, cheese dumplings. And you know, I think a br- broth when you're sick is mm. always restorative always brings you back to life and this was really that with chives on top and yeah it was fantastic wow and a very simple sort of
2: cheese dumplings which are it looked like um sort of like patties would you say yeah pressed they're pressed yeah my goodness so many types of dumplings i mean that's like a very broad category um and now, if you don't mind, <laughs> fondues just sort of has this weird reputation in the States because it's, like, it was popular in the 70s and everyone bought all these fondue pots that they never used, like, after the first time. And <laughs> so it's kind of, like, become this weird culinary joke. But obviously that's a horrible, like, sort of misreading about a food, right? Yeah. Or Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it has a zeitgeist, but why is it, why does it... um need to stick around or like what's so wonderful about it
3: yeah i think uh you know i swear by the the le crusade and their orange flame um Mm. uh fondue maker that's what i use um and i think uh i think that fondue uh has a lot of variations, you know, that I do a typical Neuchâtel fondue, um, but cool. you can you can mix and match uh, with, you know, Gruyere, you can do Compte, you can, what they do in, in the Alps to make you feel the terroir of the place is they'll use a boutique cheese, so something that's so sm- low production that you can't have it anywhere else, which is why you ultimately try to make fondue when you're at home and it tastes nothing like what you actually had because what you had in the Swiss Alps is cheese made from cattle that grazed on flowers blooming in the summer Alps at 3,000 meters Um, Uh and so that's what defines each the the flavor uh yeah Mm -hmm. and then you know you throw a little uh, cherry kirsch in there reduce you know you can use whatever you want you I know I use bread croutons but if you are uh gluten free you can use sliced apples mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah. yeah this is this works
2: for everyone do i need to have like the fondue pot or can i just like heat it up in my normal i know it's not as sexy or pretty i feel like if you're gonna go the
3: fondue route you gotta commit <laughs> okay all right. i want you to commit you know I, okay. want you to, I want you to have some some use some like 70s jams in the background okay. yeah i, I want can do to- that I want you to drink half the bottle of wine that you didn't put into the fondue. Yes. Yes.
2: Oh, my goodness. This sounds like a good idea for a virtual hangout because it's, like, visual, it's interactive, but you can, like, show people, like, the stretching cheese. I don't know. I was having a um, virtual potlucks with friends, and it's like, hey, this tastes good, but you're, like, can't really interact much beyond that.
3: Nope. (laughs) (laughs)
2: everything is messed up now with like the not getting to see each other and you know I know dip into the same pot of fondue but uh I can't wait to try that soon and as well as like you know some of these are very very humble sounding and some of them are more dramatic um let's talk about the bread soup with chicory and egg now this has yeah leftover bread right
3: yeah, this is a uh, Puchilla bread, which is a hard bread that you find in the mountains. Um, it usually has like some a, a, a sort of seed, whatever is local, a flax seed, for example, as long well mm-hmm. as you'll find. Um, and this soup comes via one of my favorite little huts okay. called San Brite. It's about 10 minutes, it's an agro turismo, 10 minutes above Cortina. Uh so when we're thinking about Cortina we are we're in the Dolomites we're in the Italian Alps up in that little uh-huh. po- pocket so so close to Austria um just a little bit below um and so this soup is uh made from um the uh bread which you basically just purée buzz in the blender bread. yeah and then a mix of um uh cream and then uh you do a chicory on top and then you'll do a nice egg like a, mm. a soft-boiled egg on yeah. top and it's very filling but yeah. it's 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 also sophisticated at the same time
2: i know right i i think it's like a great way to use leftover bread and you know everyone's making bread um these days and they might have some leftover um but yeah it's just like a little bit of pancetta some diced onion yeah it's easy but yet i want it sounds just luxurious and with the association that you just described to me of the huts which by the way you mentioned like huts and you seem to call the places you stay huts is that like a technical term or
3: uh yeah Uh, so a a hut is the same as a refugio is the same as Mm -hmm. a ref is the same as a refuge and basically um what what happened is you know what started out as small little huts that could perhaps be snack bars 60 years ago, have realized, wow, we're really onto something here. And so instead of serving like, you know, ice cream cones in the summer (laughs) and uh, hot chocolate in the winter, they started with lunch menus and then they started, they would have a wine license and now there's just really incredible eating at Mm. so many of these refugios and huts all across the Alps. And at the back of my book, I have an address book of all of my favorite spots. Yeah.
2: Oh my goodness. Oh, this sounds just so fascinating. I love that you have like this memory of every single meal. And uh, well, of course you've shared it with us and, you know, for, for safekeeping in this book. Um, But let's talk about, um, there's a lot of like dishes that seem to, cross it somewhere in between a noodle, maybe a dumpling, or something like that, um, or bread. Um, there in the Switzerland section, there's a grape
3: and walnut pizockel. Yeah, pizockels. Pizockels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pizockel uh, I've is i never heard of those. Yeah. Pizockel for people who don't know what it is, is kind of like a bigger spatzli. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like an egg, looks like an egg noodle. Yeah. And it's... It's called Pizzockel. And where I had this uh, uh, Pizzockel that we photographed for the book is at this great hotel called Hotel Weinegg in an area called Cloisters, which if, if you know the Brits, you would know that, you know, Diana and Charles went to Cloisters. <laughs> it seems to be a, a Swiss... It's a very British um, mm. Al- Alpine location uh, in terms of the, the kind of people who go. And at this uh, Hotel Wynig, it's my pav- favorite kind of hotel, which means it's small, it's privately owned, it's extremely cozy, uh, mm. and they made this pizooka, uh for us, and it was delicious, and it was very simple. That's amazing. So this is just
2: like a signature dish, dish of this one hotel?
3: Uh is is signature of the region. Um mm-hmm. but the but the walnut grape aspect I didn't see on another menu. Right, right. That looks just
2: so interesting with this uh beautiful little pan sauces, I guess, on the, on the bottom. Um and grapes. Oh my goodness. I need to yeah. try this. Yeah. Um, and then of course a little bit more familiar to folks is Schnitzel. Um Now, this was in the Austrian section of your book, but um, a lot of people associate with Germany. Um, However, you mentioned that it doesn't come from the roots are are neither of those countries. Right. Uh, tell me a little so, bit about where schnitzel comes from.
3: When we think about schnitzel, we think about Wiener schnitzel. When we think about Vienna, we think about Vienna. And it is uh, what's known as traditionally an Austrian dish. And if you go to Vienna, um, you know, schnitzel is kind of you know the national dish of Austria. Um, but what you're referring to is in the book, um, when we were doing a research on schnitzel, mm-hmm. we found a menu in the eleven hundreds, talking about cotoletto milanese, which, if you've ever had uh, a veal, a pounded thin, breaded veal, a milanese from Milano, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and so, veal
2: or chicken milanese nowadays, you might see.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. and so we uh, we actually think, from looking back, that from the first time we would see it would be from the eleven hundreds, and that it went from Italy up to um, up to Vienna. Either mm. way, either way, it's delicious. My well, recipe course. is
2: delicious. yeah. <laughs> and in your head note you mention um, some uh, creature like a little character who you imagine eating it. Who is that? Who? You, oh,
3: you oh the. that. Do I talk about Ootsie the Iceman? Yes, Ootsie okay. the Iceman. <laughs> Ootsie the Iceman. Ootsie the Iceman is a funny and controversial character. He um, they found the bones And now I can't remember. It was in the Oztel Alps, which is on the border of Italy um, and Austria, and they found perfectly preserved bones of a man. Almost mm-hmm. like he was laying in a coffin, and they found an arrowhead, and they found food that hadn't been digested in his stomach. He was extreme. He was pr- preserved in the ice. Two backpackers. The, the ice was melting, and this is happening a lot more as climate changes. As climate change wow. is going on, we're finding dead bodies kind of all over the Alps, which. Is leading to these great murder mysteries is actually fascinating. <laughs> Otzi they found perfectly preserved and they called him Otzi because of Otztel Alps and he has now been um put into kind of placed back like as you would do uh with it with the um what am i thinking about with Egypt with like the pharaohs they kind oh, of put yes. him back the mummy mm-hmm. yeah and they he's now in a museum i think close to Bolzano in Italy and uh Oh, see the Iceman, people, yeah, they, people are fascinated by him. How did he die? People think mm. that he was in combat with someone else and it gives us a glimpse back into uh, how the Alps used to be and it turns out it wasn't so different than mm-hmm. it is now. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it was a skiing accident. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't find his skis, but it could have been, it could have been. <laughs> yeah, actually they did know that what he was eating, he, was e- he died in the summertime. Uh, mm-hmm. because he was eating a lot of fresh plants. Okay, um, fine. But yeah, but the, the reference to how the context of how you're bringing it up is that we were talking in the head note, we say sch- schnitzel is so definitively yes. alpine. It's something that Ozi the Iceman, you know, could be imagined eating. Yes, yes.
2: It sounds like there is just this overarching synergy between all these countries that are part of this alpine region that is worthy of, you know, its own obviously, cookbook, Um, uh, as you've so beautifully uh, illuminated. Have you seen any other, I guess, projects that uh, bring about this whole region in celebrating its cuisine or maybe culture? No, Or was it hard?
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's a book by a a great Austrian chef that I love. His name is um, Andreas Dollarer.
0: Mm -hmm. and uh
3: uh, his book roughly means cuisine alpine um but it's it's about his restaurant dollar in galling in the salzburg alps um it's if you love this book i think you should buy his book also it's more Mm -hmm. site site specific it's a bit more chefy but he's an incredible person and you should definitely go go to eat at that restaurant um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's a it's a thing you know and uh I'm hoping, I'm working with a production company. I'm hoping to kind of make this some sort of a, a series. I don't know what that looks like yet, but oh. uh, yeah, I'm really devoted to this area. And I think it's, it's going to be a big part of my life for a long time.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, I hope that you get back to Milan and start bringing us some more recipes and more, more uh, delicious uh, food cookbooks I'm um, on knows, it. I'm on it. as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Meredith. It's been such a pleasure to hear your enthusiasm and endless stories and tales from the Alps for this uh, episode. And I hope everyone gets their hands on this book. There's just so, so much more to it that we only just scratch the surface of. Um, as you might imagine, the apps are very vast and this cookbook is just a delicious I mean I'm looking at these dumplings again another one that I love the
1: dumplings
2: (laughs) and new exciting dumplings to me um but yes thank you so much Meredith and all the best to your next projects thanks for having me and thank you Jessica our engineer and everyone at Heritage Radio Network for making these shows continue and uh keep listening we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork.